All right, everybody. So we are live, and today we've got Ed Eith, who Ed. I mean, I you know when you sent your resume over, I was like, good God, there's a lot of stuff that you've done, and it's a huge background and a huge profile. So I want to let you flesh that out, but I just want to give a context to the audience who's listening. Ed Eith, I met back when I was about 25. You were working at Richard McDonald's studio, and you were an in-artist residence, correct? That was the kind of the exactly, thing. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, Ed, would you do us kind of um, a nutshell of like what you've done in the art world? Because it's vast, it's big, it's impressive. But I would love for you to kind of like give us a general synopsis of what you've done. Because I think when people get a general context, they'll they'll have a framework of how how this is going to go. Yeah. Well. It's a good thing I only sent you the first 27 pages of my resume because if I sent you the whole thing, you'd still be going through it. Right. No, um, yeah, I've been doing this for a while and um, always drew as a kid. I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. I love drawing. It's sort of my escape where I could create my own little worlds and invent my own characters and everything. And uh, as I got older, I decided I wanted to be a Disney animator. So I went to school and studied uh, visual communications at the Art Institute of Pittsburgh where I grew up. Moved out to California, there was nothing going on in animation, so I ended up working in various fields. I was a technical illustrator, and then I was a art director at an ad agency, and then I did some consulting design, and finally decided I want to go back to school and study industrial design, which is three-dimensional product designs. So I went back to school, saved up my money, um, studied industrial design at the Art Center College in Pasadena, and I graduated from there. And as I was about to graduate, I put together a little science fiction sketchbook, hoping I might get some work in film. And uh, you know, lo and behold, one of my instructors showed it to someone. I ended up working in the film business. First film that I worked on was Flight of the Navigator. It's all Disney family film. And then um, after Flight of the Navigator was Captain EO, the Michael Jackson 3D yeah. theme park ride. Yep. And then um, just a lot of films. I worked on Hook with Steven Spielberg. And then the one that really seems to be the uh, the most popular and the most culturally uh, influential was Back to the Future Part yeah. 2. So yeah. I was actually hired on, yeah, I was hired on that as a future consultant. So I was sort of assigned to design the far off distant future of 2015 in terms of uh, Marty McFly's condo and his, the electronics people would use and yeah. all sorts of fun stuff. But talk about a dream job, yeah. Well, so yeah. I, Sorry. No, I just wanted to interject, interject real quick there with that, you know, with the, you said you were kind of like a future, is that, is that like a, the right title, like kind of like a futurist artist? You were kind of asked to, to be a futurist in your mindset? Is that was? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I had just graduated from college and I'd been studying industrial design. So I pretty much was up on all the latest technologies and it was pretty easy to project what was coming down the line. But um, yeah, 30 years in the future was a bit of a stretch, but that yeah, they just took uh, it was me and four or five other designers just stuck in a trailer in the back lot at Universal Studios, just speculating about hmm, what if it was like, and what if they hadn't, you know? So it was talk about a dream job. I'd still be doing it if they hadn't, you know, let me go. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Well, and so just a couple others. I mean, you know, when Ed, when when I first met you years back, and you had told me that you had had a hand in these things, and then you told me also. You worked on the Rocketeer, right? That was another yes. one that you did, the Rocketeer. Yeah. You said yeah. fly, you said Flight of the Navigator, and did I hear this right? Did you work on Masters of the Universe as well? I, I did, sort of an obscure film, but yeah, I worked on Masters of the Universe too. Yeah, and you did. Um, so you've had you've had a hand in the concept design work of some pretty major movies. A lot of guys my age too that are you know like born in the you know late seventies, early eighties. I was eighty one. 
But I mean, that time frame, you've had a huge impact in terms of the pop culture imagery that's, that has circulated through these movies, which is so cool. I mean, that was always, I thought, when you said a dream job, I thought, what a blast to have a hand in doing all of these things. Like, so much fun. I mean, so cool. And people are, <laughs> I think to this day, will be like, oh man, you know, this guy had a hand in that. It's awesome. I mean, it's what a blast. Yeah, I have to tell you, it's, it's fun to watch every year because with each passing year, you know, when I teach students, I you know mention the films I've worked on and, I've, you know, very few of them have these students seen like Back to the Future, and, or not Back to the Future, but uh, Hook and Rocketeer. But as soon as I mention Back to the Future, it's like everybody lights up because that film was so significant. But, but yeah, it was fun. I have to admit, I only worked in the show business for about five years and then I moved to New York. But mm-hmm. in those five years, I was fortunate to meet you know some of the top directors and work on some really great shows. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, Ed, so... You know, originally when I had when I wanted to get you on this podcast, one of the themes that you and I had discussed prior to this interview and prior to this episode was sort of the impact that artists make uh, in the culture, like why art is so relevant. Um, And that was a theme that you and I both share, like in the terms of just thinking that art's incredibly important for culture, for one, but two... As you've kind of gone through this, you've, you've done a lot in the art world and you've had a, your hand and you've dabbled, your, you know, put your feet into a lot of different pools. What have you seen in terms of, I guess, how art has progressed for one since you started? And two, like, what are you seeing nowadays with like the technological era too? Like what, um, what, what are you kind of seeing as like art playing the role? Like what's, what are you seeing? Yeah, because you're in it. You're in the thick of it. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting question because there's, I mean, the arts in general is such a broad-based, you know, discipline because there's the visual arts, performing arts, and let's go, let's go, just, let's go with visual, like the stuff you've done, you know, like kind of the visual sculpting, all of that. Yeah, well, that's the end of the, that bio, which is I worked, um, I moved to New York, I worked as a creative director for the Jim Henson Henson Company for nine years, and then. I finally gave in to my latent desire to be a figurative sculptor, and I moved to Central California. That's where you and I met, and I started sculpting in earnest. So that yeah. was uh, the most recent sort of major transition I made, and now I'm I'm teaching full time and sculpting and doing other consulting work on the side. But yeah, the visual arts, um, in terms of fine art, uh, boy, I have to tell you, I think you know. There's so much art out there, and I mean, there's room for all sorts of art, and people respond to different things. Like some people like abstract, some people like you and I really love figurative, realistic stuff, and and uh, not that it's, you know, I have uh, an attraction to some uh, abstract work too. It's mm-hmm. you know, there's some good art abstract out there too, but I think you know, the real power in art is when it just touches people. Like there's certain pieces of art where I just you know. I find myself holding my chest. Even if it's a painting by, you know, Jonathan Singer Sargent or some other masterwork, it just touches you in terms of how they, you know, a really adept artist can capture, you know, so much emotion and the soul of the of the subject that they're painting. It's just, you know, yeah. it's powerful. And when you cloak things in in metaphor, it can be even more powerful when you, you know, have these um, multiple layers of meanings and things like that. But the other arts, I mean, the arts that I'm really interested in now are I've started sculpting in virtual reality because, yeah. um, you know, I resisted the pool of the digital dark side for the longest time. But finally, it's becoming evident that, you know, every sculptor I know is working digitally. And it just makes sense because I, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of clay, I like getting the clay in my hands, like that tactile sensitivity. And then yeah. 
<clears throat> finally, when I put on a VR headset and started sculpting, it's so much like that, but you don't have to warm up the clay. You don't need an armature. You can make it as big or as small as you want. If you're sculpting that little half-inch head, instead of putting on the, you know, the jeweler's goggles to see the details, you just enlarge it to three feet tall in VR. You refine it, and then you reduce it back down. So, yeah, the thing that is really sort of engaging to me now is how you know, digital media are just opening the door for so many different opportunities. And I think in terms of you know, uh, entertainment um, and experiential arts, people want more than a movie or a TV show. They, wanna, yeah. they want something more immersive and more realistic. And I think that's why VR and AR and uh, immersive realities are just going to sort of start taking the stage even more you know, prominently. What is the a AR? Is that artificial reality? What is that? What's AI? So AI is artificial intelligence. AR is augmented reality, where you put on a headset oh. and you're still in your living room, but some little creature will come out, and then there's all sorts of. Um, ah, okay. And the less entertainment version of that is when you put on like the Google glasses and you walk around and you look at the Trans America building and it tells you what it is and how many stories it is and all these other things. So there's, it's sort of like supplementing the human mind by adding more information that comes from a database that's connected to you know, the glasses or whatever you're using as, a, as an AR device. Yeah, and you kind of very nicely and very succinctly illustrated just in saying that, you know, you kind of, you kind of pu pulled away from the dark side of the VR, right? You're like, I don't want to go that route. I want to stay a purist. And then you dabbled in this VR world and you saw like some very cool things happening. So it, obviously, right? Efficiency, ease, speed, there's some very real trade-offs of why you would go forward. So I have to always kind of ask the question because I'm always kind of like thinking down this road. It's like, so yeah. what, what would, what is, why do we need to keep clay around? I mean, I have my reasons and I have my thinking, but in that sense, like, why do we need to keep the old analog arts around? Because I think, I mean, technology kind of, the progression always seems to be like, things become obsolete and it's like well what kids are, kids aren't learning cursive anymore right like they don't learn yeah. they don't learn cursive they just write uh, via keyboard right which is just hitting a button and a letter shows up on screen and in my age group the fact that i have good penmanship and can write in cursive a lot of people are like whoa like this is great especially young kids now they're like what is that i'm like that's cursive so <laughs> you know like the handheld arts uh, the analog piece is you know, kind of like it could become obsolete. So I guess like, what's, what are your thoughts? Like, why do we need to keep the clay around? You know, it's, it's difficult to pinpoint. Cause I mean, I look back and I think about, you know, when CDs first came out and the real diehard vinyl people were like, oh, it's too clean. It's too digital. It's too, you know, Oh, here, Ed, and but, time out real quick. Make sure, yeah. and this is just the, the nature of podcasting. Make sure when you're hitting your table, we're getting a lot of, Oh, food. sorry. That's okay. That's okay. No worries. It's the pencils and stuff. It's just the, just your microphone. But anyway, yeah. keep, keep going. Too animated here, um, but yeah, the uh, um, what was I talking about here? Oh, uh, we, uh, we were saying the why keep clay around? Why do we? Why oh, do right. we, why, exactly. do we, why why because it could become obsolete and like so why keep it? <laughs> well, that's it. Like I said, with the CDs and vinyl, I think eventually everybody comes to the realization that the digital aspect is much better and cleaner and gets rid of some of the uh, sure. you know the, the static and things like that. And I think you know. Yeah, I always have an attraction for clay sculptures. And I guess the only thing that kept me involved with the VR is I could do a 3D print. Like I could do something that's not just digital and I can print out something that's actually, you know, tactile and I can hold it and rotate it because that's the beauty of uh, 
of sculpture, you know, three D objects as being able to walk around them and get the full effect. But um, yeah, I think there's something about when you see a sculpted piece and you can see the tool marks and the finger marks and the hand of the artist and you know just that knowing that you're looking at something that was you know fabricated by another human being it's just mm -hmm. yeah it's hard for me i think it'd probably be a balance eventually maybe block something out in vr print it out and then put clay on top of it and you know work it out that way so i'm still uh, and i do the same thing with digital 2d like i'll right. sketch something right. scan it into photoshop color it change it scan it out change it some more scan it back in so sort of cycling through the digital realm but uh, right but it's getting so sophisticated and the opportunities are just I so I know. So exciting. It's just, uh, you know, you can't keep up anymore. Well, you know, you, you just touched on something that you really brought to the forefront for me years back when I, when I first met you. And when I would come in and I was working at Richard's studio and I would see you sculpting and you had a number of little clay sculptures of um, lots of different characters and they were just beautifully well done. And for the people listening, if you, and we'll, 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 we'll plug all your info at the end, but like, Ed, the way Ed sculpts, the way you sculpt is just, I mean, anatomically beautiful. It's so proportional. It's just awesome looking. So I remember coming in though and well, yeah, you bet. And, um, when, when I came in, there were a lot, you were working and you had a lot of rough textured, um, pieces and stuff. And I remember asking you, uh, kind of being a, that more realism mind. I said, are you going to like clean this up? And you're like, well, you don't want to clean it up too much because you don't want to lose the gesture, the gesture of the clay. And that yeah. always stayed with me. I was like, that's right. Like the rough edge is actually really uh, engaging and it's really, and you could see like the, you know, with the palette knife that you had brushed, you're like, you don't want to lose that. You don't want to clean it up too much because then it looks overworked and you were really kind of schooling me on that. And I was like, that's a really good point. So, you know, the reason I bring that up is, um, do you feel that that sort of thing of right, being able to see the gesture, is that, does that translate into the VR world? And into these things, is that gesture still there, or is it more polished and more refined? Um, we well, certainly have the capacity to polish it and refine it more, you know, sort of economically when you're in VR, because there's a way to just smooth things out and get rid of all the texture, and you know, you know, some of the forms don't quite, um, yeah, they don't have your fingerprints in them because you're using VR sure. tools. Sure. So um, yeah, and I don't know when I sketch. I don't know, there was someone who said, I forget who it was, some poet who said, um, sing your song in the fewest notes. Mm. And uh, I always try to do it when I draw, like what's the least amount of sketching I can do to get this point across? And I try to do it quickly. And those drawings always seem to end up looking better than the ones where you just spend an hour and tighten it up and make it you know, shaded perfectly and everything. There's something about the looseness and the sketchiness. And you know, the way you get that is you just work fast. Yeah. So um, there's something about the speed of your work that puts energy into the piece and, um, you know, it shows. It just, you know, there's something about the sketchiness that I think is uh, the sketchiness and the texture that might not be completely smoothed out and polished is, is more appealing to me. So I think it takes more mastery to do that than it does to do the tight renderings. But the thing about sculpture, I think, I think I, you and I talked about this before, the thing about sculpture that's really compelling to me is when you know, the sculptures that really touch me are the ones where they've, you know, there are these fleeting moments in life. Like, there are times when my son will do something and it happens so fast and it's gone and it's only a memory in my head, you know, mm -hmm. or, you know, you'll see someone, some activity or something or just, you know, 
you're conscious of when you're walking around looking at things, which artists are supposed to be. Yeah. You see all these fleeting moments of beauty in life, and um, when you can capture them in a sculpture, that instant that went away, um, you can immortalize it, and you can make it something that people in you know unborn generations can experience because you've yeah. put it in bronze. So yeah. But enough about this art stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me this, Ed, because we this this is also like a you know the the side thread we had talked about as well, which was and you've reached out to me and you've 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 you know you've said you've thanked me and you said like I like your work, Ray, and I, I like what you're doing, and I like that you're trying to bring some mindfulness into like the culture because people need it. And we've we've talked about this, and you said you know that's a really cool piece to sort of explore, and then. You jumped in with me that, you know, you had like your background in yoga, which was, has been instrumental in keeping your body kind of on point. You've talked yeah. about, um, which we're going to get into, which you, you, you talked about the kind of the mindfulness meditative approach to sketching and drawing, which I thought was right. really cool. But I would love to hear some of your thoughts on that mindfulness thread in the context of just, you know, arts and how it's helped you and how it's, you know, supported you along the way, because I think that's, that's relevant, especially for given my audience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, and to be honest, I have to tell you, when I first saw you putting together Omni and um, the website and the podcast and everything, I thought, you know, I'd be anxious to see how this happens because he seems like such a young guy. But the fact of the matter is you've, uh, you're quite a matured soul for all the stuff you put together and the insights you have and the studies you've done. And you've been on a, a really sort of unique path that I think makes you uh, uniquely qualified to be doing this. But uh, And I thank appreciate you. being part of the process, too. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think there's... There's plenty of violence and superheroes and blown up cars and stuff in the world. Let's talk about the important stuff, which yeah. is, you know, how do we become better people? Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, and there's so many things you've, you've, you know, I've learned from your podcast about health and activity and balance and all those things. But for me, I have to tell you, I, I was athletic my entire life, and I uh, was always either tennis or basketball or for a while it was aerobics, and then... Um, I think I reached about age 40 and I just decided I needed something different. So I went to, uh, I was living in New York and I took a week off and I went up into the Berkshires and uh, stayed at the Kripalu Institute and did a week long yoga intensive, which um, just changed everything for me. It was such a great experience. I mean, at first it's tough because yoga isn't easy if you haven't been you know, stretching most of your life, but you know, I stuck with it, and uh, for the next 10 years, I was doing Ashtanga yoga classes like two and three times a week, and ultimately paid off to the degree that my body is, you know, I still stretch, I still do yoga, I don't do it as frequently now because I'm so busy and I've got two sons, but sure. what a difference. But I find now, you know, for me it started out as yoga, you're just stretching and it's, oh, that's sore and you're painful. And then eventually your muscles start to get more clay-like and that stretch feels a little better and then... The big transition for me was I finally realized if you do a yoga class properly, you know when you get up in the morning and do that, oh, God, it feels so good just to stretch? Yeah, yeah. When you do a yoga class, right, you're taking just about every muscle in your body and you're going, oh, yeah, stretching it. Yeah. Yeah, so, and it just, you know, you do end up developing this sort of body awareness and body consciousness. And now it's to a point where, you know, there's times when I'll go in the pantry and I'll reach up on the top shelf and I'll think, oh, yeah. And I'll just stay there for a few minutes holding that stretch because it feels so good or bending yeah. over to get something out of a, a lower cabinet. But those stretches are just, uh, you know, what was the saying? You're as young as your spine is supple. Yeah. But there's something to that. 
Yeah. So yeah, and uh, now I'm at a point where my chiropractor bills are like almost gone because whenever something goes wrong with my back or my neck, I can usually find a stretch to get the thing to pop and then I'm back in shape. So yeah, yoga is a wonderful thing and I really think it's uh, yeah. it's the mind-body connection too. Once your body is that flexible, I think your mind stays a little bit mm-hmm. more flexible. But meditation, add to that, I don't do it as frequently as I should before mm-hmm. I meditation. When I get into a good deep meditation, I feel like my body relaxes and then my face, there's so much tension that I'll hold on my face, I can just feel that melt away. And then on a really deep meditation, I can feel, it's almost like at the center of my brain, like the brain stem or something, Mm -hmm. it feels like this when I start meditating and then finally it just sort of loosens in my head and there's this flood of just total relaxation. Yeah, and for the people that are not watching on YouTube, what Ed was doing was a clenched hand, like his mind was a clenched hand, and then by the end of the meditation, right, it's like opening and like a like a, like a flower blossoming, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. 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 So yeah. I really think, yeah, once you, you know, everyday life just has those, you know, frequency of oscillation of brain waves that are just so, you know, there's so much static and there's so much going on, but when you finally, even if it's just a few minutes a day, if you take that yeah. time to unplug and uh, yeah, that could, you could talk about meditative drawing, which is something I do too, because I think that's a way to help your drawing practice. If there's any artists out there that want to yeah. hear Absolutely. about that. There's Absolutely. A, there's a way of sort of unplugging your brain when you draw, which strangely enough can lead to some creative insights that you probably might not have had if you were you know, struggling to come up with an idea like most, well, some artists often do. Just yeah, no, I do. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. struggling with inspiration. It's yeah. it's a struggle. Yeah, I think it's like writer's block for writers, or the inspired, insp- you know, the inspiration idea that you're going to get for the drawing or for the sculpture. Well, before we before we jump into this, so the people that are listening and watching, Ed is definitely going to do. We we have this whole camera setup where he's going to actually do some drawing for us and talk about this meditative process and um and how to do that and I, I have a question before we get into that and sure this is more of a it's kind of a sharing but i would love to hear your thoughts on this um so you know when i was in college i was studying martial arts for the first time formally i had studied with my dad informally for years uh, i'd done judo as a kid but then i found my first my first real formal teacher and it got to a point in school it was such a cool time in my life where my only responsibilities were training martial arts a couple hours a day I had to, I was a studio major, so I was sculpting, drawing, and painting like all the time, and I had a ton to do. So my whole, my whole life was basically martial arts in the evening, painting, sculpting, and drawing for most of the day, and then I had a part-time job as a cook at like this organic food store. I mean, it was awesome. It was such a cool, like, cool, wow. cool setup, you know, for a period of time. And when I did that, though, uh, you just talked about how, you know, partaken in yoga and done these things and it's really helped you. The thing that I became very aware of was for artists, and I think it's a thing we forget sometimes, but we do, it's a, even though it's technically not athletic, you're still using the physical body to, to make art, right? If you're a sculptor, you're squatting, you're moving, you're, you're texturing clay. Someone right. like Richard McDonald, who we both know, who was doing very massive work, right? The body is still very involved and it's the vehicle for which art comes out of you know like for we have to use our hand the mind the breath whatever you want to call it but i noticed that my art was i would say more inspired it was easier for me to um access my artistic nature through physicality and movement so it seemed like there was a kind of a reciprocal relationship oddly at the time i was trying to make sense of it but it was sort of like moving my body breathing and being active 
and doing that really facilitated good artwork. And, and they were very harmonious together. They were very, um, they linked up naturally. And it was kind of a, it was very yeah. strange to me. And then I kind of did, you know, research and I saw that uh, the samurai, you know, when they were practicing battle, they were also trained in floral arrangement and calligraphy. Like it was a requirement. They had to learn those things to counterbalance and it always kind of just got my mind spinning and I would just love to hear your thoughts or if you have any relational experience to that. Did the mind-body arts sort of, I don't know, augment your art, help your art, support you, that process? I would just love to hear your thoughts as, you know, as an artist. Oh, absolutely. And I think um, you know, part of that for me is the fact that when you're um, you know, strapped to a drawing board or a desk or a computer um, for an extended period of time, you know, your brain starts to get lethargic and then, or your body starts to get lethargic and your brain follows. So, um, yeah, and I've heard so many artists interviewed that say the same thing, like, really? I can only work so long and then I have to go out and either take a walk or do something, exercise, and then I come back. And, and there's plenty of, uh, you know, historical documentation, even of mathematicians who are like struggling with a problem, you know, or some sort of uh, equation they're trying to resolve. And, uh, they take a break, walk across the park with their wife, and halfway through the park, Eureka comes to them. Yes. So there's something about that, yeah, taking a different approach, and then, uh, yeah, I think, plus there's just a physiological aspect of that. You do something that gets your heart rate up, it pumps your blood faster, it gets oxygen to your brain, and there's just a, uh, so yeah, I think I'm probably out of balance to that extent. I really need to, you know. Because I found that's what kept me, you know, I was putting myself through college and I didn't have much money and I was working after school and I had this full curriculum and everything, but I always got up at 6 a.m. and did an aerobics class. Yeah. And it was like, didn't need coffee, didn't need anything else. It just kept my, you right. know, my vitality up for the whole day. Yeah. So it's such a, such a great investment. Well, it's interesting. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And I thank you for the, the, the you know, the mirror there. Um, and that was kind of an interesting point when I got... I had this, it was an issue, not an issue, but I had this conversation with my dad many times. As a kid, I was a really heavy set, chunky kid. You know, I've always been a big framed guy, but I was really like heavy set as a kid. And yeah. I remember my dad, I wanted to be a cartoonist for a period of time. And I was really like, I want to do that or a comic book. And my dad was, I also brought it up. Like, I was like, but dad, if I sit all day, like, won't I just like get heavier? And he was like, that's a possibility. Like you really have to kind of with your constitution, you're going to have to mind your body and be healthy if you want to be an artist because it's going to be a sedentary job to a degree. And that yeah. really got my mind uh, spinning early. And, you know, oddly, Ed, right after I met you was kind of when I I went, all of my art that I was making was kind of healing-based or healing in its bent. I, want, I had like, I was using color and light, but it was all about sound and vibration. And I was really kind of getting into this. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to make healing art, I'm going to need to like adopt a healing system of some kind fast forward that took me into Chinese medicine also and yeah. my first day in Chinese medicine school I was like I'm kind of coming to this to become an artist I'm kind of going through Chinese medicine to become a better artist people were like what and I'm, <laughs> I'm, st I'm still trying to make sense of that you know like nowadays I'm trying to figure out how to balance these things but yeah it's just kind of funny how life you know takes you down these roads and the things you go through but that said um can we do? Well, there's can one we, more thing I was going to mention too. Yeah, yeah, this please, like, please. I'm a big fan, fan of sayings. I have books of sayings that I wrote down that had some kind of an impact on me. But one of them was um, it's a saying that says, "If you want friends, be friendly. If you want love, be loving." And it's a great saying because it's so true. But then I had a conversation with a, a performer from Cirque du Soleil one day, and we were talking about exercising and how vital it is and everything. And he yep. said, "Yeah, if you want energy, you got to expend it." And it's it's such a great addendum to that 
you know, that saying, if you want love, be loving, if you want friends, be friendly, if you want energy, put some out there and do something. That is right. That's that right on. That. That's very, it's, I like that. I'm going to take that, Ed. <laughs> it's going to be one of <laughs> my new sayings. <laughs> well, let's print up some t-shirts. Yeah, for sure. Well, Ed, let's do your, um, let's do, let's do a little drawing. Let's get, let's, let's get that. Let's get this to work. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Get the, let's get the camera set up and you can, um, yeah. Talk about the, the meditative creative process of this. Cause I'm definitely interested. Sure. So I'll fill a little airtime here while you're getting your camera switch over. So prior to the episode, you guys, people that are listening, Ed had said, you know, he's like, he's like, what, what are your thoughts if we did, you know, a really cool, like little drawing demo? And I was like, of course, on board. And we had some, we had some uh, technological difficulties for sure. And we had some hoops to get through, but um, we found a method, we found a way. So Ed's going to pull up his, um, yeah, his little camera here, set up the screen for some drawing, and then we will jump in and he's going to go through and sort of explain some of the the things that he talked about and I'm sure he'll flesh out more here, which was just about, you know, doing a drawing in the way, well, you used an analogy, Ed, that I really liked. You said looking at um, the way people look, look for images in clouds and you said you kind of look for images in the doodle and I was like, oh, I like this. I like to see where this it's is going to so go. It's true. Yeah. So, um, you know, the first part about meditative drawing, uh, I think, you know, too many times when we have, you know, like if you're a commercial artist or a consultant like I was, you have an assignment and you've got constraints and there's things that are sort of limiting your thinking and it really does sort of, you know, keep you from doing what I call the what-if phase. Because mm -hmm. the beginning of any design, any design assignment I've ever done, whether it's a logo or a character or a vehicle or a set, it always starts with this what-if process, which is like, well, what if it was this? And what if the room was round? And what if the car had big wheels in the back? Right. And what if the character right. had all those what ifs and you got to get those on paper and just explore those ideas and for me it's the most fun part of the process but it really requires this divergent thinking where you you know start spitballing things and throwing them on the wall and sure. and then eventually you pick out the ones that are most suitable you show them to the client you pick out mm. three that are good and then you refine those and eventually it's just it's like an inverted pyramid for me you finally come down to that final design and you do it in color and, it. and that's that's the way the design processes work for me almost you know exclusively but there's just times when you get to the you know you start running out of what ifs and then <laughs> that's that's when i think um you know it pays to either step away or to um do what i do because you can think about all these ideas in your head, but until you start putting them on paper, they don't really become tangible or right. usable. Right. But for me, the meditative drawing technique is instead of sitting down and thinking, okay, it's going to have a car, it's going to be like this and trying to draw everything. I like to start down, and this is almost like loosening up before working out, mm -hmm. where you just let the pencil do what it wants to and just don't think about it so much. And sometimes I won't even look at the paper and I'll just... You know, it starts to loosen up your hand and let things flow a little bit more. Yeah. You know, and sometimes it's patterns, like maybe I'll try to do perfect circles inside this. You know, keeping it all loose. And I'm drawing, it's what I call drawing from the elbow, where you don't get too tight and start sketching with your hand. But mm. the hand stays static, and I just keep sort of you know, sketching like so. Yeah. And sometimes these will turn into nothing, but sometimes... You know, you get some really interesting patterns, yeah. but it just just gives you that ability to disconnect for a minute. Yeah, you, and get, then, you get to go into the abstract a little bit. It's like less formal. Exactly. Yeah. And if you're doing something more geometric, like, let me take another marker here. 
And for the people listening, uh, you guys, if you're listening on iTunes, you're going to want to switch over to YouTube because <laughs> Ed is actively drawing. You're not going to be able to see it unless you're no, on YouTube. We're communicating visually now. That's right. Cut out the, <laughs> cut out the audio. But um, yeah, and if it's straight lines, sometimes it helps just to draw straight lines and see if you can get them to flow and get them to get straight and get them to be a half inch apart. And it's all about, it's like, I consider it like playing scales on the piano. Mm-hmm. You're really just sort of loosening up and... Again, this is my forearm sliding across the table. It's not, you know, because as soon as you try and do it with your wrist and... Yeah, it's not as straight. Uh, exactly. Right. So, yeah. And then when it finally comes down to, uh, you know, having to draw something, I find that, you know, and I've met other artists who do this too, interestingly enough, where they, uh, they'll just do a random, uh, like say we're doing a character design. You know, when I did sculptures, every once in a while I'd do this, where I just try and not even think about it, look away sometimes. You know, if I'm doing a vehicle design, it might just be you sort of let the stuff fly a little bit, mm-hmm. and then when you look into it, you start to see, well, you know, what could this become? Like maybe. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. It's a, it's like you're it's like the inverted pyramid. You're sort of distilling it down. You're like letting the loose come first, and then attack, exactly. and then building off of it. There you go. Yeah. Because these spontaneous things will enable you to come up with shapes and forms that you, if you sat down and you know tried to wing it on your own, tried to make right. these into something, right. probably wouldn't work as well. But these random shapes can just sometimes start to generate ideas oh yeah and it's the same thing one of the things I'm really uh, enjoying right now is I'm sort of obsessed with faces so I'll I'll draw a lot of uh, do that next let me see what's going on here though. but this for me is the fun playful part of art where you're sort of doing what I did as a kid where I just sort of didn't have any expectations I didn't have any right well, and it takes the, it takes the constraint off a little bit too. I think that's it's um, yeah. I mean, it's just more freeform, right? That's the thing you're saying. Like, it, it, so people that are again, if you're not watching, you're gonna want to switch over to YouTube. But I like I can see, like you said, the gesture coming from your elbow. The gestures are big and loose. They're not um, fine tuned and meticulous. So you're just going yeah. you're going with like large gesture. Exactly. And sometimes with my students, I'll tell them that, you know, if you work with thumbnails, too, like it doesn't have to be big. Like when I was working in film, one of my favorite ways to draw spaceships was like this, where you just sort of dot, dot, dash, dash and throw some shapes down. And then suddenly, you know, you start to turn into something. And is that showing up? Yeah. 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 I can see it. No, but it's just these sort of, you know, allowing yourself to be more spontaneous and, you know, I love arcs, so I'm always throwing arcs in here. But sometimes, it, you know, how can it be more geometric? And but uh, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. And I think did I bring some drawings? Let me grab these drawings. So I can look at some of them. I love it. Hold on one second. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. So this is cool, you guys. So what? If like again, if you're not watching, you might want to watch. So Ed, when you're looking at these drawings, he's just doing these loose 
um, yeah, just loose gestures, but it, it's pointing to this larger mechanism, which is so cool, which is, yeah, get the loose idea up first and then build on top of it. It's great. Yeah, so here's some of that with more architectural type stuff. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to figure out how to get this centered. Yeah, no, I can see it there. Beautiful. And then this has been the same thing, just sort of scribbling and turning it into furniture. Oh, wow. And then this, this is one of my favorite things. It really isn't anything other than just playing yeah. with forms and, and shapes. And here's exactly what I'm talking about with vehicles. Right. Yeah. Loose ideas. Yeah. Yeah. So it really is just letting those scribbles turn into something. And, you know, I'll do a lot of small stuff like this, and sometimes I'll take it to the copy machine and enlarge it and then add more detail. Because when you work small, you can't add detail when you enlarge it. You can suddenly take it to the next level. Right. Right. Absolutely. You know, in but that's a, about yeah, no, I'll say in, in my um, in some of my drawings when I when I do stuff, you know, if I'm doing like fine rendering work too, I will find profiles of faces. And then when I'm when I'm down in those little tiny areas, I'll actually add faces. So when you peel back and you look away, you can't see them. But if someone goes up close, they could find it. So yeah, I, I totally can relate to what you're saying. Yeah, so you get the idea. Yeah. But yeah, it's just something to, you know, and I know some artists that do the same thing. They will just scribble because, um, you know, everybody thinks when an artist sits down, he knows exactly what he's going to do. Not all the time. And that might actually work in your benefit. You know, yeah. if you have the ability to just just play. Right. Well, and Ed, what do you think, um, if I can kind of put you on the spot right here. So, you know, you were like right there, you were talking about vehicles, shapes. So if a person, because I've had people ask me this, if they're like, you know, I, I want to draw maybe a caricature or I want to draw a face mm. or a person. If you were to do like a face or, a, you know, a character, do you kind of operate in the same way? And if so, what would that look like? Like, how would you start that process um, drawing that if you were kind of going for like a character, but you're not going for like a set thing? You know, if someone comes to you and says, you know, we need a character. Do you kind of do it the same way? Is it the same thing? Loose, loose first and then find the face? Like, how do you do it? It is. And it's interesting because... Yeah, I mean, when you sit down in a meeting and you're hearing about the, you know, what they're looking for, and it, you know, it has to be like this frog, or it has to be this older couple, or things like that, and you start to formulate things in your head, and I always try to get those down fast because, you know, it might just be a thumbnail sketch, but if you don't get sure. it down, it's likely to evaporate pretty quickly. Right. right. But yeah, then after that, when I start running out of ideas, it will be sort of like, you know, just putting in a head, a chest, and, you know, if it had big feet. You know, mm -hmm. and then sometimes I don't get so specific about what I'm doing. I just let that scribble happen, and maybe that's gonna start to inform a character design or something. Mm. So, um, yeah, and then when you get down to the details, you know, I'll put a tissue overlay on this, and then maybe I can get more refined with it. You know, I start to map out the features, and what if this guy had a big nose? And, yeah. And that's when it gets to more of the, uh, you know, the practice and the. Yeah, absolutely. But that's it. I really think you know, if you really want to be an artist, for me, it's all about, it's about visually communicating. It's about drawing, and it's about, you know, being able to put ideas on paper, and, um, yeah, it's just about. I think the more you do it, it's like playing a piano or doing yoga or something. It's all about yeah. the more time you invest, the better you're going to get. Absolutely. This is looking pretty horrible. 
So <laughs> <laughs> I like the character. <laughs> no, I totally. There's the angry guy. I love it. I know. I love it. Um, no, it's very cool. And you know, I remember when we were work, working for, uh, or you know, you were in residence, but there when I was working for Richard McDonald, one of the things he said was, he said, you know, um, um, a sculpture is a drawing from a thousand different angles. And it's I, so true. And I was like, wow, that's a way to look at it. Because he originally apparently was a, primarily an illustrator and didn't have a lot of sculpture background and then started really getting into that. And he, that's the way he kind of conceptualized it, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I thought, well, I've drawn all my life. I should be able to transition to sculpture pretty easily. But it's so true because you, uh, yeah. when you're doing a drawing, it's from one angle. It's like one, one profile of a of whatever you're illustrating. But when you're doing a sculpture, you've got a top side, 360 degrees. And Every you know. angle. Yep. Yeah. Well, Ed, do you have, but, do you have more drawings that you want to do? If not, we can switch back to your, um, your face camera. Yeah. I think that's, let me see if I have one more thing. Yeah. If you got, if you got more stuff, I'm, I'm happy to, yeah. Yeah. I love it. So you can bring out some, some other goodies and some other things that you think might be good in gravy. So for the people listening... Yeah, let's switch back. I thought I had another sketchbook. Oh, there it is. Yeah, I'll pull it out. For the people listening, I had, I've been wanting to get Ed on for a long time for a lot of different reasons, but yeah, so his whole take on I love. <laughs> um, yeah, this is just a sketchbook that I, you know, I encourage artists. And there you go. There's scribbles that are starting to turn into sculptures. Right. But, Just, um, gestures, yep. Yeah, and I encourage artists. I mean, if you're really serious about this, You've got to carry your sketchbook wherever you go because mm -hmm. it really is, um, you know, I keep one in the glove department in my car. I keep one on my nightstand because you never know when you're going to have a chance to draw. And if you're an artist with a sketchbook, you don't have downtime. I mean, I've been in the dentist's office sketching and I've come up with ideas for sculptures that are now in galleries because I just right. sat down and, and doodled. So, um, yeah, but this is where I really sort of get back to being a kid and having fun. and Yeah. Well, some of your some of your characters that you've posted online and like this type of stuff, I mean, I love that work because there was so there was so much anima and character in those faces, you know. And there's 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 so much alive in them, and I can definitely see the playful side, which I love. <laughs> Excellent. All right, let's switch back. Okay, sounds good. We'll get your uh, get your face camera back on while you transition. Well, so I think, Ed, can you still hear me as you're uh, transitioning? I can. Okay, great, good. So, um, you know, the thing I guess that I've wondered about all of this is people that are listening to this um, and, and people that are aspiring artists or new to art that maybe have not, maybe don't have the formal background in art. You know, do you, for people, I think there's a lot of people, it's true in most things, people get pretty intimidated by, I think, art in general, because they feel that if they don't have, like, let's just say they're not born with the, the natural, you know, aptitude, people are like, well, I suck at art, therefore, I, I, I don't even, I don't even want to try. And then there's a lot of people who fully kind of own, they don't have any like genetic aptitude for it, but they're like, I still really enjoy it and I pursue it and they end up loving it and they actually make, make some really good art. Maybe it's not the formal hyper-realism, but it's like there's some heart and soul in there. So yeah. like what do you tell, I guess, budding artists, whether they're ta you know naturally talented, quote unquote, or not? Like how do you, because I know you teach, you know, and like what do you kind of, I know you're probably working with highly skilled people, but like how do you, how do you broach that, 
that membrane and you know people that are kind of apprehensive to get into art because they're quote-unquote not good at it or they're hung up on you know engaging it for that reason yeah well you're right there's a whole range of people and i think what you said is is true to the fact that there are some people that are better at music you know or more audio oriented yes. and, and visually oriented and then you have an aptitude for that yep but um i'm not sure about the you know i think yeah it's probably again it's probably like tennis or piano i mean there are certain people that start at an early age and they're virtuosos and mm-hmm. you know they have this natural sort of genetic inclination for whatever it is so those people are you know the small percentage and then there are just people that really want it so bad and they love drawing and yeah. you know they put the time in they need to much like a tennis player plays day in and day out you know or musician practices and i think you know if you want to be good at something you need to be doing it more than a lot of other people mm-hmm. or more than anybody else so um yeah there's that there's just this uh i think you really it, it pays to have a passion for it yeah. i mean as with anything else and then yep. you invest the time and, and find the right teachers too i mean none of those tennis players or piano players did it without a good coach <laughs> yeah. and that's the beauty Very the beauty true. of technology now is there's so many great artists out there putting out free videos and you know there's just a multitude of resources out there for you know learning the arts and learning just about anything now which uh, yeah makes me a little jealous I wish my sons and they have all this stuff at their fingertips and they're digital natives and I just I want to do over yeah a hundred percent I mean I totally feel you on that and I recently I was talking to my mom and um, you know I, you, I think you've seen probably on Instagram I post those pictures where I have my daughter go up and touch the murals and she's like she's totally engaged with all these murals and she loves them and she's just so stoked on them and, that um, is so sweet to watch. It looks like you're really investing in her creativity too. Yeah, that's, yeah. No, no I, I definitely am, and she loves it. But I think that's the kind of thing I I was talking to my mom about. I said, you know, mom, like I, part of me would love to learn how to like do murals. Like I would like to pursue some time learning how to do larger art because big matters for me. Like big things, big people, big art. Like it always seems to just really catch my attention. And I asked my yeah. mom, I was like, so how does one learn to mural, quote unquote? And she's like, oh, she's like, she's like, you can't, you have to, you know, you got to find somebody. And it's just like an oral tradition that's passed on. And of course I go to YouTube, you know, I'm like how to do murals. And it's like this plethora of stuff on how to grid on how to, and my mom said, she just, she was like, well, God, things have changed quite a bit. Haven't they? I said, yeah, they really have. There's like, there's so much access nowadays. If you want to learn, I think anything, I mean, I think the internet has, has definitely revolutionized, revolutionized things. And then with art, it's like, like you said, right? There's this whole new world of being able to tap into stuff that maybe had been, not I want to say off limits, but would be harder to acquire, right? When you were starting your oh, yeah. career, right? Like that digital era thing has really changed some things. Yeah, and I think with with murals, it's you know, it's as much about creating your own art, your own artistic style, and then applying it to a building as it is just sort of I want to do murals. You know, it's yeah. it's. Uh, it's requiring, I tell my students that, you know, learning to draw or learning to paint and learning to communicate visually is just like, it's like learning another language. It's, uh, but the beauty of it is, you know, if I learn French and I go to France, I'm in great shape. If I learn French and I go to Russia, not so good. But if I learn to draw, communicate my eyes, the ideas visually, I mean, not only can I communicate with just about anyone, but you can communicate through time. Like I see these cave paintings in the south of France were 20,000 years ago, some artist 
right. you know, painted these animals and these right. birds and things. And now you can look at them and see what that person saw and feel what they felt and everything. And to me, that's part of the magic of art because it's just, it's timeless and it's, it's the universal language. I think the visual arts are just, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'd be happy doing anything else. <laughs> yeah, I hear that, Ed. Well, it's interesting, you know, we'll kind of, we'll kind of wrap this up as we close out this, this larger conversation. But, you know, one of the things that I always found very interesting about um, Chinese medicine, and I don't speak Chinese and I don't write calligraphy, but, you know, they have a pictographic language, which is mm -hmm. ultimately there's a lot more in the, in the um, there's a lot more quote unquote art in the actual writing of the language because it's like, it's a pictographic language where they have, you know, it's a symbol for rice with steam and maybe a mountain or something, but it's basically like a, a glyph picture that conveys yeah. a meaning and the gesture of the stroke matters. And, um, you know, true to form in the artistic sense, when you look at a character, Chinese character, it's not really like solidified as a steadfast answer. It's sort of like how, do, so if, if you and I look at rice, mountain and steam, you're going to have a series of ideas that run through your head and we might agree on some common threads, but in the end, how you interpret the character is sort of open, like it's open-ended oh, a little bit. And yeah. I always find that that's true with art. You know, it's like you have your your spirit behind your work, right? The thing you're creating, your design, you have an intent on why you made it. And it's like the viewer might have a completely, and often will have a completely different relationship with it. And I, to me, that's always the coolest part is that you can put this thing out with your heart and soul, with a meaning, maybe you're processing something in life, who the hell knows. But then the viewer is going to take it into their world. And that's it's just, a, yeah. Yeah. It's the subjective nature of art. And it really is, you know, the way things can be interpreted and misinterpreted. Because I remember seeing an interview with um, the musician Seal. Mm -hmm. And they asked him, you know, I said, you never put the lyrics from your songs on your CDs. Why? And he said, because... He said, someone came up to me once and said, you know that song? And they mentioned the lyrics and they said, you know, and how you were talking about it. And they reinterpreted what he had said. He said, that's nothing like what I had in mind when I wrote that song. Yeah. He said, but it was so meaningful to them because they misinterpreted it that I don't want to leave people. <laughs> <laughs> right. they, they didn't know exactly what he was singing. So they made something up that they thought he was singing. So, yeah, yeah I think there's something to that where, you know, it can be open to interpretation. And I didn't know that about uh, the Chinese symbols, though, that they can be sort of like a, a shorthand with... Uh, yeah. Boy, um, how do you communicate when they're open-ended like that? Yeah, I mean, they definitely have, like, meaning, right? Like, they have, like, you look at a character and it will mean something. Like, like the word, you know, chi does, it is like, you know, rice with steam coming off of it. Like, that's the character, but it, but it points to a process. And then there, it's contextual because you can change the radicals. You can, like, put a different symbol in there in the middle and it changes. Mm. But it's very different. Um, and they read top to bottom. Uh, from right yeah, to left, yeah. right to left, and we we read horizontal left to right. I mean, it's a totally different world, you know. But in yeah. any case, as a side note, um, well, Ed, in kind of closing, my last kind of question. This is like definitely just my curiosity as a child, like from watching some of the stuff that you had a hand in. Out of the mm -hmm. creative design work that you've done, the movies, maybe the projects that you've worked on, what's been sort of like the cream of the crop highlights of like your most favorite thing that you touched on? Oh boy, that's a good question. Um, the favorite in terms of like the most satisfying creatively for me? Yeah, the ones, yeah. Yeah, that you were the most satisfied creative uh, in the creative sense or maybe that you just, I don't know, yeah, you enjoyed the most or that you were the most happy with in the, you know, the final product. I would take any of that. Yeah. Um, I would probably have to say when you're sculpting and again, it's 
this usually happened when I was sculpting a clay. You're working with clay and you're putting it on an armature and you're blocking it out and you're making it look like a figure and you're getting the musculature done and you start working on the face and there's this magical moment where it goes from clay to something that's looking back at you. Mm -hmm. It's almost like yeah. you've detailed it enough that this thing has actually got thoughts in its head and it's got this, you know, if you do it right, it really does start to take on its own personality and that's this magical moment where I think like, oh my gosh, this thing is starting to be, uh, you know, it's like a child. <laughs> yeah. Like Digging yeah. on its own life. Yeah. And then when other people feel that and, uh, you know, you know, get immersed in something, it's, uh, that's a really satisfying feeling. When someone buys your art because they want to look at it every day in their living room, I don't think there's much more satisfying than that because that's, yeah. that's the ultimate test of good art. Somebody wants to live with it, you probably did something right. Well, and you hit that, you hit that out of the park with your uh, Mari sculpture that my mom still has. Like when she bought that, she still talks about it. She's like, I love this sculpture. She, I mean, she, to this day, like it's a beautiful sculpture. I mean, it's, it's awesome because she's floating. You know, I mean, that's the coolest part about that. It's an invisible floating posture. Like that, what a cool sculpture. Well, thanks. And I love your mom. She's such a sweet woman. Yeah, most definitely. Well, Ed, is there anything else that you would like to close out with? Passing thoughts, closing thoughts, um, anything that you want to touch on? If not... We'll just kind of go to what you're, uh, where you're, where people can find you. Yeah, other than it was just great. I just, you know, been looking forward to talking to it to some extensive degree because we never get a chance to. But it's, yeah. it's been fantastic, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Just uh, keep watching Omni, everybody, because this is where the this is where the real sh the real shit happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that, Ed. Well, Ed, if people want to find you, if they want to follow your work, they want to check you out, see what you're up to. Where can people do that? Um, website is uh, eith.com. That's e e y t h dot com, and then it's got all the uh, social media connections on there too. But uh, yeah, I've got a overwhelming website. It's, uh, the creative stuff and the uh, entertainment stuff and the consulting stuff is eith.com. If you want to see the fine art and some of the virtual sculpting, the VR sculpting, it's um, edwardeith.com. So it's e d w a r d e y t h dot com. But they'll both take you to the same place. Awesome. Well, Ed, right, th th thank you again. I, it was great to drop in with you. I appreciate your time and just sharing your thoughts as, as an artist who's contributed so much to, to the culture and to your field. So many thanks. Anytime. Well, you're making a solid contribution to yourself, my friend. All right. Thanks a lot, Ed. Take care, everybody. All right. Bye. Take care.